Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 9th, 2016. You're listening to the premier PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. How's it going, bud? It's going great. So, you know, first week of December, um, I get together with my, uh, my closest college friends. Um, people on Facebook are probably annoyed by this because every December we have a hundred posts <laughs> from these folks. Uh-huh. But it's been a pretty cool get together. We've been doing it for twenty three years now. Jeez, so I don't know a lot of people that are getting together with their best college friends consistently for twenty three years. So um, very very um, appreciative that I have that tradition in my life. Yeah. Um, so we're just you know, and we'd spend the whole weekend just kind of sitting down, sitting around, hanging out with them. We, we don't put a lot on the schedule. It's just kind of like to catch up, you know, over the year, even though we see each other throughout the year, Facebook and things like that, right? But when you're together for like a whole weekend, you talk about like a lot of stuff. So we were sitting there uh, one day, and um, my friend Carolyn Bentley, who I've known since college, obviously said, you know, hey, you know. Um, I listen to the show every week, and you know it's funny. And then, then you guys get into poker, and I don't know anything about poker, so I'm kind of convinced that I'll never know poker because the way you guys are talking about it. But I'm like, whoa, back up! <laughs> you listen to the show every week? Wow. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, I had no idea. So um, I just thought that was really interesting. And my wife is sitting right next to me, and she's like, I don't even listen to their show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought that was interesting that we have people that actually listen to us that don't know anything about poker, probably don't have any interest in being in poker, but still like to hear us sit around and talk like idiots. I I am always amazed when I. Even people that I know who used to listen to the show, I think they probably still don't listen. You know, we were I w- on our last cruise with uh, Big Jim from Toronto. Yeah, I told him I'd give him a shout out on the show one of these times, and because make him there drive, yeah, make him drive his bus into a stop sign or something. You know, <laughs> watch out for the pedestrian, Jim. You know, he drives the uh, the like the charter buses and stuff from from Canada, and I, and I just I said to him casually, I'm like, you don't still listen to the show, right? He's like. Are you kidding? Yeah, I listen to the show all the time. I can't believe I'm having dinner with you. I'm like, what? Get out of here. So I'm always amazed. And then now you find out someone who's your bud, you know, who listens, doesn't even know poker and listens. That's that's a huge props for you there, buddy. Yeah. So, hey, appreciative of all those silent listeners out there um, that uh, tune in every week. Appreciate I have zero friends who listen to my show. Of course, oh, I have zero. zero I have zero friends. Ah, exactly. Do it. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, yeah, there, there's a there's a purpose to a straight man, and then you're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to do both ends of the joke, Scott. You're supposed to let me, you know, do you killing me? Oh man. So did you actually thank this person? I don't remember hearing you say the person's uh, yes, name. Yes, yes, Carolyn. Oh, Beth. Okay, I wasn't sure. A right. Terrific realtor up in the uh, Cleveland area. So, if you guys looking for a house? <laughs> 
Yeah, I took uh, Advil PMs last night, so I'm still kind of groggy. So. Oh, okay. Right. I may fade in and out of the show like normal, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, the first season of the Global Poker League has come to a close with the Montreal Nationals as champions defeating the Berlin Bears <laughs> uh, for the $100,000 prize money. Um, obviously, this played out in the Cube Arena in Las Vegas, you know, that big old box that they had they put players in. Sponsored by Kia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't come up with that. I know. Um, but, uh, so, what do we think? First year's done. Um, has it changed poker? Uh, here's the deal. I wouldn't know anything about this if you wouldn't stop keep putting it on the show every week. So, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know. I'm hoping they think it was successful. I'm hoping they're happy with it, and I'm hoping it continues. But I really, and I'm not the typical poker fan, you know, I mean, uh, I used to be one of those crazy guys who'd watch it all the time on TV and look for anything and try to find the names and see if I know them and that kind of thing. But really, I read the story, I read the recap that was on the globalpokerleague.com, and um, I didn't recognize any of the names from the winners. I knew yeah, three of the names of the losers, but part of the problem, I, part of the reason I didn't put any of the names on. Yeah, I mean, I didn't <laughs> well, recognize any. Pronounce them, and you make fun of me. Um, too. I, I honestly don't know who they are. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know who they were, and I saw at the end of the story they were saying, you know, obviously we got some rough edges to work out, but we're excited about 2017 and beyond. So they're clearly going to try to do it again and keep it going, and that's good for poker. Anything that promotes poker and keeps it, especially on a global, you know, stage like this, hey. I'm all for it, but my thoughts are I don't think it changed poker because I didn't know anything about it if it wasn't for you, and I would not have known anything about it if it wasn't for you. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's done anything yet for the mainstream poker. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing uh, that you did, that uh, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it seemed to succeed uh, this first year. I'm glad there are people out there trying new things. Um, and for folks that actually really got into this and really enjoyed it, I think that's great. Um, but um, I only know about because I get emails from them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, it 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 hasn't really gotten I think that big um, push in the poker world um, that it, that you would, might think it is. But I'll also say this: I think the the idea that that Alex had for this was to take this out of the poker world and more into the mainstream world, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a little harder to judge, you know, when, you know, when I'm looking for show notes, I'm looking at poker sources, I'm not looking at whatever else is around. Um, and it hasn't really come up in the the generic Google searches I've been doing. So it hasn't permeated to total mainstream now. Now, that doesn't mean that it hasn't picked up mainstream folks and got them interested in poker. I mean, I don't know how you really quantify that. That's hard to do. Um but the other thing I was thinking about um, was a couple of nights ago, uh, the wife and I were out for uh, dinner, and I looked up on the screen, and Fox Sports 1 was on, mm-hmm. and there was something called, I can't remember what it's called now, but it, um, it, it, it were a bunch of teams that were running around, you know, jerking weights up. And then doing obstacle courses, right? Okay. But it had an official logo. Um, I think it was like the NP, NPGL. There we go. Okay. Um, and they had, you know, team names like, uh, I don't know, the Los Angeles Rain or something like that um, with, you know, professionally designed logos and everything. Very similar to the Global Poker League, right? Yeah. 
And so I sat there and watched it, just trying to figure out what the hell this is. Because <laughs> it didn't seem all that interesting. It just seemed interesting because it was different. But I'm like, they actually create an entire professional sports league out of this. And people are watching it on Fox Sports 1, whether they're just curious people like me sitting there eating my pizza, or whether people that actually, you know, set their DVR so they wouldn't miss a, a single week of the uh, NPGL. Look, I got it right. Um, so I, I think the... The takeaway for me on that was that uh, our interests in our world now are so micro, right? And there's so many new things out there that we can expose ourselves to that something doesn't have to be mainstream on the front page of USA Today, um, on ABC at night for it to be successful, right? It just has to find that niche. It's got to find, yeah. Really, um, that just passionate about it and makes it profitable. Yeah, it's uh, the National Pro Grid League. Yes, I, I did look at that eventually. Apparently, Grid is one of these um, CrossFit kind of things. Yeah, CrossFit. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I agree. I, I was going to say, you know, what really burns my toast, trademark Mike Faso, um, <laughs> is when I turn on ESPN and I see wrestling. Uh, news on Sports Center, or I see like wrestling news. Yeah, like 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 wrestling, and and not not wrestling. And then I, you know, I see MMA being touted yeah, on there. Now. It's a little different than wrestling, right? But yeah. but the the roots of it started out as this sort of you know uh, underground fighting thing, and now it's grown to mainstream. And it's like poker was an underground thing for a long time, and now it's mainstream. But they never put anything on. They they update you on everything they do on MMA, but the only time you ever see World Series on on TV is when it's world you know you know, poker. I mean, it's when it's World Series and it's Sports Center's true. You know, so when I think about this Global Poker League, you know, it's a team event, and I, I just say why why does World Wrestling Entertainment get time on on ESPN sometimes and and poker you know I, I would like to see like you said this NPGL is is on Fox Sports 1 or whatever it's like okay Global Poker League should they should res- report the results you know it's a sporting event something happened they won let's let's see some results let's see some some coverage of this thing on these national stages and see what happens then but if, it, if right, we're going to have to rely you know, on word to mouth it's never going to happen you know as well as I do, because you were a sports journalist as much as I was, that it's really hard for anything other than the big four sports to to get coverage in a sports section. Right? Yeah, right. Uh, now, I, I never worked for a sports network on TV, so um, obviously when you have 24 hours to fill, and, and now you have, what, seven ESPN channels and eight Fox Sports channels. There's, so there's more more space to fill there, so it's probably easier now to, to, to find a spot at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday yeah. <laughs> where you could do a NPGL news recap um, and make it work. But it's it's difficult to... I mean, there's not a lot of sports journalists that are as excited as some people are about every upstart league of any kind that shows up. In fact, that's actually even hard to find results of anything in the agate section anymore. Yeah. One of the big four sports, right? Or big five, you throw soccer in there, which I do. Um. So yeah, I don't know if that's a good barometer either. Um, I mean, one of the things is I the the way media is going now is the internet is where most people watch their television and watch their viewing whatever entertainment whatever. So 
maybe uh you know the, maybe one of these channels on YouTube or whatever these other ones are you know or maybe this this streaming stuff like maybe you get in with Hulu or Netflix or I don't know but it's like I feel like anytime poker wants to make some sort of splash they have to start their own channel and then it never works out it works out for maybe half a season and then they can't find the money now this is why I think internet poker is the only way this is going to happen if if we can get regulation direct some of this money toward you know more to ppa.org or something like that and just get it regulated the money will be there for the shows then they'll say hey as long as you're giving us money we'll put you on our network and then then you'll see more of this stuff and this will grow grow it globally but i really think you need global money to make the game global and i think the only way to do that is really to just get the richest country on the planet to have regulated poker like they have regulated horse racing and fantasy well, sports. I, I think that's going to happen soon because China is doing a lot of investment. In <laughs> so, um, you know, and I say that half 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 joking, but uh, I'm serious. I think uh, China is a massive market for poker right now, um, and it's possible that um, you know as they continue to make inroads in China uh, with this, that um, that could be a driver that we haven't seen. I mean, right. I mean not. Uh, it might have to have it be a trickle down effect before we see it here in the states, but it might actually be a driver. Um, I think that's what's going to take to get a di- something to make a difference in poker, because you're going to need that money behind it, and not just one thing putting its money behind it. You're going to need money coming from everywhere and well, just splashing it everywhere. Right, and that's what I that was most fascinated in, and, and I, I imagine at some point I'll get bored enough to really get into reading about this grid thing. But I was thinking, like, where is the money coming for this NPGL? Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe they take a portion of everybody's grid membership or something, and are able to put on these big events. Um, uh, but maybe they have sponsorships and things like that that are really working. I mean, again, but that's a, it, it's an interesting how all these niche sports and I'll throw poker in as a niche sport whether we want to have that argument or not um, where does the money come from in that so you know this grid thing I think it is memberships right um, yeah so it's almost like a 30 minute infomercial having something like this on TV where people watch it and then hey what's this you look up grid and then oh hey I think I might want to do that and you go down to your local you know grid gym and join and then it, you know it, it, it pays for itself whereas poker it's so fragmented that you're not going to go down to your local grid poker room and all that money is going to funnel back to that, right? I think it's products, too. I think, you know, with that, you're going to see energy drinks, energy bars, protein drinks, clothes, you know. the the, so there's a lot more sponsorship. A lot more sponsorship deals there, yeah, and and stuff that they could put to good use, whereas when you do poker sponsorships, you're talking about websites and stuff like that when that happens that's where that money will come from but basically it's hard you know you got these clothing lines that you know for poker and you got some you know headsets for poker you know but you know there's only so many chipsets and cards you can sell to an audience to promote that much money so when it comes to clothing and all these people are taking energy drinks they're all taking you know their protein shakes and their vitamins and their supplements and all that stuff so I think there's a lot more money in something physical than there is something mental but yeah I don't know I, I, I think it's going to be I think when the poker finally gets you know regulated in here and I think that might help push something globally like this more into the mainstream or at least into our zeitgeist you know zeitgeist, zeitgeist. wow but that's nice that's a big word and I pronounced it right <laughs> I wouldn't know so <laughs> 
Uh, all right, and then this was interesting that you uh, pointed out to me. Uh, Robert uh, Chip Bernard Turner, uh, writing at GamingToday.com, says it's time the poker has a poker industry hall of fame. Turner says such a hall of fame would be a worthy spot to honor some of the first owners of poker rooms, creators of tournaments, and <clears throat> media professionals. <laughs> what say we? Um, I find it interesting. Um, I read the story. I, I, I feel like... You know, most halls of fame have this sort of veterans committee that put on people that, you know, they already they do the service to the. So, I mean, I feel like if we just have the Poker Hall of Fame already, we just have an industry wing of it or something. Yeah. Right? I mean, or, I mean, to, to create a whole new poker industry hall of fame might be, you know, a little too much. I feel like poker hall of fame is already like in the words it's already there's already a thing for it then just say you know he gets in for service you know and that's what the industry would be service slash industry and then i don't know i mean it it serves our own because we're in the poker media and it gives us a chance to want to get into the poker hall of fame somehow but i don't think we would ever do that because we're johnny comes lately and we're not real pros or or whatever as far as playing ability so you and i would probably never get into a hall but um that's not what I'm bringing it up for. I, I was bringing it up for because I thought it, it's probably overkill, and I think that they should probably just, you know, uh, lobby the regular Poker Hall of Fame to have their own sort of extra entry at the end. So you have the two pros who get in every year, and then the third person is the industry person, and then you have three inductions that year, and they have their own little wing. And I say wing, but they don't even have a building for this thing, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to come at some point now. Yeah. Got an NHL team in Vegas now, so. <laughs> um, now it's an interesting point that you brought up, as because uh, I see this from two two prisms. I think I think one, um, I, I I don't know Robert Turner, so I haven't asked him about this, but I, I wonder if part of this is frustration, the same frustration that you and I have, that only two people make it in the Poker Hall of Fame every year, right? Or it's very difficult. How, how do you decide? Is it you obviously want a poker player, at least one poker player every year to get in? So that means that most you're going to get um, one of these industry people, unless they just happen to be a really good player as well, too. So if that was relaxed, or this uh, a great suggestion you had to, you know, let's have one industry person guaranteed to get in every year, and then in addition to the two other people. Um, if we're not have that, then I, then I see this frustration. From folks that say, "Hey, there are a lot of people that are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to make poker viable for these poker professionals right. to play and get into a Hall of Fame, and those folks should not be left behind because um, only two people can get in every year." Um, the flip side is, though, is that, um, and I don't think this is the same with baseball Hall of Fame, but I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on it. Um, is there a watering down effect when you? Let's say they're able to talk the Poker Hall of Fame into doing what we just suggested and adding a guaranteed third person for that's an industry person. At that point, now I mean I'm going to say if I get in as in any the Poker Industry exemption or whatever we want to call it, um, I'm a Poker Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, I think you. I, I don't think this watering down effect is real in this situation because basically we're talking about a PDF. Not, we're not talking about you know uh, a room that another wing they have to build on the Cooperstown. We're talking about 
hey, can we add one more name to the list to honor this person and make him feel good, make his family feel good that he did this or, you know, or to recognize what they've done for us because we're in this industry now and we're making money on it or something. So, no, I don't think it waters it down, at least not. We're talking about two and one every year. I mean, how watered down can it be? You can go 100 years and you only have 200 people in the hall. And they, they, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just, I think that it's, especially now, since you don't even have a building, you don't have, it's not like you're doing busts of these people. You know, it's a list. Oh, oh, oh there's too many people in that in that PDF. I, I can't download it. You know what I mean? So, no, I don't think so. You're half joking, but I went to the College Football Hall of Fame not too long ago, which is phenomenal, by the way. If anybody goes to Atlanta, you got to go there. It's, I mean, I could spend an entire podcast talking about how awesome this place was. Uh-huh. But no bust there. They have big, huge video screens. Ooh. And you just type in the school you're looking for, and it brings up this, I don't know, it's not a hologram, but almost like a full-size image of the player right? and details. So it's a good way of getting around that. Wow. So that's what you need to do when you have to have like a, you know, a real life experience, like just have like one of the casinos in Vegas, like donate one room, and you could just put this sort of hologramish type thing with a, you know, like a database and a hard drive. And but here's the thing: is, do we even have that on the web right now? I, mean, I know. Is there even a web place, a web home for the poker hall? I don't know if there is. Uh, I, mean, I, I feel kind of sad saying I don't know for sure. But. I'm gonna I'm gonna type in poker hall of fame while we're doing this <laughs> and see what it says. I'm not uh, sure there's some websites that have a list of people, but... Yeah. Well, the World Series of Poker, WSOP.com, has a page... A subdomain, probably, yeah. Yeah, that has everyone who's won since 79. So they have a list, and then list, there's... Though. It's not, like, interactive or anything. No, I mean, if you click on, like, let's say Harbin got in in 2015, right? If you click on her name, her profile comes up on WSOP.com. But right, right, right. it's not like Jennifer Harmon was uh, one of the right, first women to, you know, it wasn't one of those things. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, hey, here's her name. Click a link. Uh, that's the first thing that came up. I haven't really, I'm not going to spend our show doing that. But but right, really, right. It, would, it should be the first thing that comes up if there's actual, you know, it's all generated by, there's a Wikipedia page. <laughs> but there's no PokerHallOfFame.com, you know, website, yeah, you know. So, that, I, mean, I think we need to start there, right? Yeah, before we worry about watering down and... <laughs> creating problems for the industry let's start but uh but the overall message here is i think we don't need a separate poker industry hall of fame when we barely have a poker hall of fame now i the other thing too is we uh, we do have a separate women in poker hall of fame that's true so there is that out there so um even though there are women in the actual poker hall of fame um so uh but that's a separate entity from the folks that run the poker hall of fame and obviously you know Robert Turner could do his own thing if he wanted to, um, and I'm sure the people that would be inducted in his new poker industry industry Hall of Fame would be quite excited to be in it and support it, just like the the women that are in the Women in Poker Hall of Fame are. So yeah. I guess there's no harm in it, um, but I, but I think think you're right. If we could find some way to umbrella all this into one thing, that's probably the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think it should just they should all get together and work it out. All right, <laughs> put him in a room. You can't come out. <laughs> hey, time for any updates uh, under the header. Keep them coming. Scott says listeners have flooded us with hands of the week, but we're still in need of listener spotlight and call the floor submissions. Please email us at podcast at anteupmagazine dot com, or even post in our anteup group discussions at pokerradius dot com, and we'll take your stuff from there and use it on the show. 
Uh, also, Firekeepers Casino in Michigan is the latest poker venue to join our Restock the Shelves charity food bank initiative that we co-host with Blue Shark Optics on January 16th. More information, visit com slash restock. Getting excited about the restock again. Every year, it makes you feel good. Absolutely. We keep adding new places and... New things. New, and um, you know what I like about it too, is uh, the poker rooms are really kind of jumping on board to trying to make their events more exciting every year as well, too. Yep. So more... More chips for you to bring in cans, more other kind of drawings and things like that. Um, and anytime I have a good conversation on the phone with the poker manager, just like, man, I love this. I'm having fun with this. That makes me feel good because the more they put into it, the more likely they are to um, really have a really good, strong donation to give to their local food bank. Yeah, if you guys want to help us out, get together with us, whatever, you know, just go to that website and uh, see what we can do. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Four and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from Todd Falstad. He says, now that I'm not working for the time being, I find that hitting some of the traveling circuit events is good value for the effort. I think I'm going to start hitting one a month or so. So my questions are these. One, in Vegas, poker is all sort of smashed together. You can walk from poker room to poker room in seconds. If you spend any length of time out there playing, it all sort of runs together. Uh, out at these traveling events, however, be it WSOP, WPT, AUPT, EPT, Heartland, even us, uh, it's far uh, more obvious that they stand alone. How does the, the brand that a poker player chooses to chase affect the skill level of the players? Likely not much. So should we answer these one at a time? Um, no, I think we, let's do, should do them all together. All right, I think sorry. some of our answers are going to blend together. Okay, so the other question is, uh, what consideration would you suggest to be key factors in saying, hey, I'm going to play as many Brand X events as I can in the next 12 months? Also, how many players stay loyal to one particular promotion for the sake of points or a title, or is their decision more likely based on locale and travel rake? And uh, finally, is there added value in traveling to all of the events of a certain brand versus just a few, or is it better to minimize travel distances and rake and just hit all of the larger events that travel through your general geographic vicinity? Uh, all right, well, uh, Todd had a lot more in this email that I edited down, and, okay. and he had a couple, um, ha-ha, I know you guys are going to answer this through the prism of what's best for any a poker tour. <laughs> right. Um, and I responded right away saying, absolutely not going to do that because uh, I consider our tour to be very different than these other ones. Um, and we make that very clear to our partners, and I think we make that clear to the players that our tour is more of a marketing contract advertising program that um, gives a, an event an extra bump. You know, I mean, the, the unique thing for us is that if you win our main event, you get on the cover of the magazine. So there is value in playing in, in anti-up events, but it's a different kind of value, I would say, than um, one of these other tour events out there. So I'm quite happy answering this honestly because I don't think we're the we're not trying to be these other events, right? If it turns out that we end up bone growing anti-up poker tour into one of these things, that's great, but that's not really the goal right now, right? Right. So, um, so what I want to say in terms of that is that all of these tournaments have their own incentive to play and, quote-unquote, be loyal to them. So a lot of it depends on what kind of player you are and what you're trying to do, you know. So, I mean, if you're following the, the World Series of Circuit, I mean, obviously, you build up points there and try to get another player championship, which is very lucrative. Um, certainly, you know, everybody's chasing a ring, 
So that's a nice little thing they have there. Uh, World Poker Tour probably does something very similar with their Player of the Year. Um, you know, Heartland has their TV component to it, which is uh, interesting and different. Um, and then you have events like Mid-States Poker Tour that, uh, that don't have any of those events, but draw very big, loyal crowds because they have folks that just um, want to support each other. So uh, they're all different, so I think you just got to figure out what kind of player you are and what you're trying to get out of it. Um, if you're trying to, um, if, if you want to be loyal to one for the 12 months. But I think the best answer to this, uh, best question he asked was the last one is that, you know, should you be loyal to one or should you minimize your travel distance and rank? I think for most of the players listening to our show, which are recreational players, that's the biggest consideration, right? Yeah, rec- for recreational, definitely. Um, although, I mean, I had that conversation with Jonathan Little a couple times when he was on our cruise that time and even just some regular conversations with him. And most of his conversation was, hey, you know, it's it's I got to know that I'm going to be able to fade the the traveling, the money that's involved in that. Right. And so they're doing it for a living. So very few pros on his level or higher um, are, are going to these things because of promotions. Or points are taught, you know. I mean, they're they're not going like like the World Series. If you want to be Player of the Year, you know, you're in one place pretty much, and you so it's not really going to cut into your travel and all that. If you have a chance to play Player of the Year, they might enter another event because of that. I don't know if, if too many are going to keep traveling, spending all that money if they can't afford it to try to win a promotion or something like that, unless it's really really an incredible promotion. Right. So for our local people who are just recreational players and stuff like that, yeah, this is this is a huge. A huge cut into them if if they only do it recreationally, you know, you're going to want to do like one a year then if you're going to travel, you know, and then you want to stay home close to your your other ones to save on money for your bankroll and stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't know, I I, well, I don't know about yeah. traveling. Well, it also depends on where you live too, whether how many of these events come through within a two hour, yeah, three hour drive or whatever your radius that you feel comfortable traveling is. You know, some some parts of the country you're going to get a shot at all these tournaments because there's a you know, when one leaves town, then another one comes in, kind of like a traveling circus, right? But there's other parts of the country where only one or two of these are going to come through every year. And then at that point, if you really are trying to play as much as Todd is saying, is then you're forced to travel to to go see ones. Um, but I, I think if you live in an area where, you know, you're going to get uh, one circuit event a year, you know, one WPT event a year, one Heartland event a year, hopefully an Annie Up event, that's five right there, or four or five right there. Um, and that's that's gonna uh, at that point you have to really want to you have to really prefer one of them over the other to to decide to travel and, and incur that expense when you could have a tournament experience close to home where you can go sleep in your own bed at night. Yeah, not have to fly. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing he said is uh, you know. How does a player choose these? I mean, again, I think that's that's individual. So I think uh, some events are obviously going to be more uh, difficult because of the type of players that are attracted there than others. But even that, I would argue, has a lot to do with buy-ins and location and things like that. You know, if you are if you're in the Northeast and you're going into Atlantic City, those are going to be tough events because there's a lot of tough players up there and they play all of them, right? 
Yeah. So I don't think it matters necessarily what event it is. You're going to have top players there. If you're in a um, area of the country that's not as developed as a poker market, it doesn't matter whether you bring the uh, a particular brand in there. Um, most of the players are going to be the players that play locally and are going to be of that same skill level. So um, I think that's a, a lesser concern in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pretty good. All right. All right. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Because my buddy Vic G says, I'm playing in one three no limit hold'em at a Mississippi casino. We have one player who moves all in blind preflop. I raise preflop and get one caller. I bet the flop and the remaining live player calls. On the turn, I move all in and the remaining live player folds. Oddly enough, the original all-in player missed completely or knows he's crushed because of the betting and decides to walk away and abandon his hand prior to seeing the river. The dealer still completed the board by putting out the river. Is this correct? What should the dealer do in this situation? After the dealer put out the river and mucked seat seven's cards, I mucked mine and dragged the pot. Everyone at the table wanted to see my cards, but too late, they were in the muck. Besides, if both opponents folded before the river, I don't think they have any right to see my cards, even if they think I was cheating. Elliot says, the first question is whether the dealer should put the river card out there even though you were the last player with a live hand. Of course, the full board should be placed on the table. There is an all-in player who left the table and apparently abandoned his hand. In these type of situations, um, dealers are trained to put all the community cards out on the table. Also, uh, in small blind games, there's usually a jackpot donation being taken and some kind of promotion play that would dictate that all the cards being put out even when an all-in player bans a hand. So a player that doesn't get forfeited out of a promotion due to someone else's actions. The second issue you brought up is whether your hand should be shown even though your opponent's folded. No, it shouldn't. Your opponent's all folded to a bet and the only other hand was abandoned. In fact, uh, the case could be made that you called the all-in bet of that player and his is the hand that is allowed to be seen. Perfect answer. Yep. Uh, perfect answer. And the big thing they really think about there is the promotion. Imagine if the dealer mucked everything and you've got ace-king of hearts and there's a queen-jack of hearts on there and he's not turning the river to see if you get the 10 for the royal flush or the high hand or whatever. And So absolutely has to put the whole board out there. It's it's, yeah. it's like an official record thing anyway. Yeah, that that would uh, burn my toes trademark back fast. So <laughs> if I had a royal flush and some idiot decided, ah, forget it and walk, walk away. away and like, Whoa, come yeah, back. Yeah, come back. <laughs> You're costing me 140000 and probably yourself more. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I'm kind of surprised. I told Vic this. I was kind of surprised that he, he would question why the cards need to be out. Because even if it wasn't the promotion, I think that's just something you do when, when there's an all-in player. Yeah. Because this player, I don't know. I mean, obviously, he was there and I wasn't. So maybe this player like was in the elevator and out to his car by the time the hand ended. Right. But more likely than not, I think he was like within earshot distance, right? So even if he got up and left, I don't think you really abandon your hand in most rooms. I mean, you could come back. Yeah. Uh, maybe he had to. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom really bad. Now you know he wasn't coming back or whatever. Yeah. You just got to deal them all out. It's just the way it goes. Uh, all right. Hey, we have a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $1, $3, No Limit Hold'em Casino cash game. The action has been unusually timid, so we've opened up a bit and have started playing a little more loose. As a result of this, we may have gotten an image of a bit of a maniac to the rest of the table. We bought in for 300 and sit with 4 The table is 9-handed. 
the blinds post. It's folded to an MP who limps. It's folded around to the button who also limps. The small blind completes and we are in the big blind with the nine of spades, seven of spades. Okay, decent hand, let's see a flop. There's $12 in the pot and the flop is the queen of hearts, seven of hearts, seven of clubs. That's about as good as we could have hoped for. With $12 in the pot and three other players in the hand, we want to thin the field. We make a $10 bet into the pot. The MP folds, but the button thinks for a bit before carefully counting out a call. The button is a seemingly solid player who plays the situation more than the opponent. He started the hand with about 300 and has played very few hands. The one hand we saw him table? Pocket aces on a board where he turned a full house. The small blind folds. With about $30 in the pot, the turn is the eight of spades. I'm not sure this really changes much. I really don't like being out of position here. We check. The button bets pot, $30. Okay, so we've invested $13 into this pot, which isn't a lot, but can we really fold this here? I don't think so. I'm thinking we're maybe beat by two hands, ace seven and eight eight. This could be some kind of a rogue queen, but we're going to do a mini check raise here. We make it $60 to go. Our opponent sighs and gives us a, really? He thinks for a while before calling. The river is the deuce of clubs. So, we're first to act. There's 150 in the pot. We sit with about 325 to our opponent's 225. What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And this comes from our good friend Tyrone Keel um, down in um, uh, Australia, I believe. Ooh. It could be New Zealand. I'm sorry. Okay. I think it's Australia. Down under. I'm sure he'll let us know. All right. Um, all right. He says, uh, first of all, really enjoy the podcast lately. I'm downloading the new show every Friday morning. It makes my breakfast those days so much better as I listen in. Uh, always like the shameless plugs. Yeah. Uh, he says, I had a hand come up this past Friday night that I thought I'd send in for some analysis if you have the time. You got nothing but time, buddy. That's all we do. <laughs> uh, playing my usual multi-table tournament as part of our NPL weekly schedule, not to be consumed with the NPGL. I don't think we should that's, I, that's, that's probably, I don't know if people actually paid attention enough to us in the middle of the show to understand that joke. But... <laughs> I get to the break with a stack of 41,500. After starting with 30,000, I'm pretty happy with my play in the first session. I picked up some nice hands, ace, ace, and king, king, having, uh, and king, king, having a win with both. I lost one pot, entering with sevens for set mining, and gave myself a lot of credit for folding a lot of middling hands. Coming back from the break, and it's the third hand back. Blinds are 300, 600. Um, there are two limpers, and the small blind calls, and we look down the big blind with the ace of diamonds, six of diamonds. I feel like we've had this hand before. I, I'm not saying we have, but it feels like just the other day, like last week or something, we had a hand where it was a suited ace, and we got into trouble with it. Um, you know, You're already made, assuming he's gonna get in trouble. I know, I know. Um, yeah, you know, when I look down at a hand like this, I'm just excited that I have a hand that could actually do something, but I don't want to be out of position and and go crazy with it. So I'm just gonna check along. I'm yeah. happy that I have it. I think what you're you're thinking about is I think even last week we had a hand where there was an ace something in the big blind and we actually had a pretty good discussion where if everybody limped it's unlikely that there's an ace out there right right that's probably what we talked about last yeah that's got to be almost a case to be raising here even though it's not a hand you normally would raise simply because um, your ace is probably good right now 
Yeah. But I think we decided then, and I'm, well, we're deciding now. And we're just going to check here and hope for the best. Yeah, we're just happy we have a, a playable ace that could, you know, give us something really cool later. So let's just check in. And it, plus, it's disguise, too. Uh, I'm in the big blind. I'm just checking because I got do seven. And then, boom, you hit a six. And, you know, so let's uh, let's limp along and, and use that to our advantage. Now, I would say that that's exactly what I do in a cash game. We're talking a tournament here. Um, if we had all the information here, um, we could probably drill down more into why you should raise or why you should check here. Um, you know, obviously, we, we, we build our stack up nicely. You know, if we have a lot of short stacks at our table that are not looking to get involved in a hand with a big stack, uh, I think I'd be more likely to raise with this hand and put them on notice, right? Sure. Versus if we were... Um, in a vulnerable stack here, um, I would be less likely to raise against bigger stacks that are more likely to call. Yeah, and this is also the type of hand where in a tournament where I'm looking to, if everybody limps, I might just shove. If I have enough that they're not going to call, I just want to pick up all these blinds and these limps and and move on. And you know, I mean, this is one yeah. of those hands where you get called. If the, the, very few people are are not raising with an. Uh, when they have an ace, so like you said, if you're probably good here, you shove now, and they're like, unless it's something where they're totally pot, you know, they're getting the right odds to call you. This is a good play to to just shove here because um, no one had a real hand um, and then not even see a flop. But I'm not doing that. Right, right. Well, I mean, we have 41k right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it's too much. So that'd be too much. But, yeah, it's too much. But I'm but saying there would be a case with some information out there that I would feel more encouraged to raise than. These percentage of me right now that right. maybe we should. Yeah, yeah. All right. Assuming all that, we're checking here, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Here says I'm not going to get crazy here and just check and see if I can manage a decent hand. All right. So we're all in agreement so far. Okay. Flop is the Ace of Clubs, Four of Diamonds, Six of Hearts. Um, and he says a fantastic flop here, right? Top two on a rainbow board and the big blind is a big blind special. My book, LOL, and the small blind checks. I'll check. Ah, you got to check. Yeah, we got people behind us, right? Yep. And it looks like the two blinds missed. Someone's going to take a stab at this. I want to check and then either check, raise, or call. I want to see what happens after I check what happens to everybody else. But if, if it goes, someone bets something, you know, minimal, like a 1,000 or something, and someone else calls, now I raise. If it goes just one bet, I might call and bring them along a little bit yeah. yeah so it just depends on what happens after i do the check but i'm i'm definitely checking if people check along and i miss a street well i'm willing to take that chance because i've got top two well disguised and it still looks like i'm in the blinds i might even check again if i miss it because someone's gonna bet there's a scott long out there <laughs> who refuses to let it check around twice <laughs> someone will bet and then i'll raise so i'm checking i want to try checking here all right, I, I, you sold me on that. Um, I, I think my default would have been to bet this, but uh, I think uh, the check is right for for reasons uh, beyond what you said. I think, um, but uh, so let me ask you your level of fear in a alden pot of some some kind of some kind of straight combination here. I think most likely it'd be deuce tray, right? Um, yeah. I don't think there's a deuce five or a five seven out there. Although a suited five seven could be out there. That's the only danger I think in in letting uh, a free card or two free cards. Which I kind of like that idea that eventually, with a hand like this, you might if you check twice, you might get somebody to take a stab finally in the river and then be able to get some extra money out of them. Would the small blind? I think the only hand that legitimately fits into this flop, unless it's a set, 
is the small blind. And, yeah, okay, the small blind check could have the same line of thinking that we have. But other than that, we literally have, other than sets, we have the nuts right now. And, I'm yeah, a turn card could give somebody a straight. I don't know if people are limping with cards that low. It might be 7-8. But a lot of people like to play those cards for raises, too, especially in tournament situations. So to, to think that someone limped with 5-7 spades or something right now, I just... I don't know. And they'll probably bet it anyway, so I can force them out of it when they do bet and someone calls. So right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm not too worried. I like okay. the check. Um, and I think the other reason I like the check here is for the same reason that we were thinking about raising preflop is that no one else seemed to have an ace. So now when we bet here, we are, we are starting our story, right? We, mm-hmm. There's no story on us right now. We're in the big blind, you know. Really the only thing that anybody could pin us on is we didn't have a hand that we felt comfortable raising with, right? Right. So if we check here, then we're still not giving anybody a story. If we bet now, now people have to start looking at our hand and start wondering. Um, and if they're starting to wonder, then they have to wonder if we had an ace, why we didn't raise with it preflop, right? Right. So now they dismiss the ace, which is kind of interesting. But I think that makes our hand look even stronger, um, potentially. I mean, the- obviously, a four or six is not stronger than what we have. Face up. Right. But now I think somebody has to give us credit for either having a set or a two-pair when we actually have a better two-pair. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm ready to give them that that thought yet. Yeah, let's check. All right, <laughs> All right our hero makes a 1,200 to go. Um, he says, a little small here with it being only half the pot. Maybe I should have made it a little bit more expensive. Well, you got two guys here that are saying you should have made it less expensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, I get a nice response, uh, though, when the first slipper calls and the other two fold. So I wonder if we checked if that first slipper would have just bet to try to take it down. And then we just call. Or whether we would have kept one or two of the other people in, which I'm not sure exactly yet whether I wanted to or not. But I feel pretty good about our hands. So. Yeah. so I'm wondering if when he says I get a nice response, whether we really did or not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there there's an argument for in some, certain hands to keep people in the pot to make more odds for you to draw. It. But you 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 do want to narrow it down here. And if we checked, you know, I don't think if this guy bets, he's gonna bet probably more than that because we were considering that a small. He was considering our hero was considering a small bet. So if somebody makes it like fifteen hundred to go or whatever, they're still gonna all fold. Um, so at least we got a caller, uh, but. I don't know if he would have bet out. He probably would have bet out had we checked to him. Yeah, I think here we already kind of dismissed the straight possibilities out there. I mean, not completely, but um, I think they're, we're worried minimally about straights, right? Right. And the board is a rainbow, so we're not really worried about flushes here, too. So, you know, if you're talking about a push-pull kind of situation, this is kind of a hand where I want to pull people into this pot. So um, when he says, um, you know, I got a collar and two folds, right now, um, I mean, obviously this hand could go a lot of different ways, but um, I think I would have rather kept Hope alive for at least one other player here. Yeah, one more call would have been ideal because, like you said, if we put the straight away, then no no flush gets there on the turn and we, we drop the hammer on him on the turn if we feel like, oh, somebody could be backing into a flush draw here or something or, or another Broadway card or something. So, uh, yeah, one more caller for another street would have been great. But if we checked, I don't know if we don't get any more money because they all check 
And this guy bets out. They all fold again. We're back to where we started. So we did a check call or whatever. So I don't know if we keep people around and get more money out of them unless they seem to improve. And then we want to eliminate them on the turn because you don't want them to get there for, you know. So I don't know. I don't know if I want to keep people around. I don't know how that works out hmm. for us. All right. I guess we'll see. All right. All right, so 4,800 in the pot, and the turn is the 10 of diamonds. So our board now is ace of clubs, four of diamonds, six of hearts, 10 of diamonds. And uh, we are first act. Wow, I love that card. Uh, well, the only thing I don't like is if somebody... No, because I don't think somebody would have any. So um, if they did, I don't know if checking to them now is going to work, because we took initiative in the hand now and bet out. I think we need to bet again and make it look like... Absolutely. Gotta yeah. So because we, you could have had some, you know, I don't know. You could have had a Jack King, Jack Queen, a stubborn kind of person. Yeah. Stuck around. Um, or, I mean, now we have diamonds out there. You could have, there's a number of combinations of diamonds that could be out um, that are probably less likely but possible now. Which could come oh. around for us because I, I mean, it would hurt our odds of hitting the flush, but they could stick around no matter what we bet now. So we have to bet because yep. we have the Asics of diamonds. So oh, that's right, we have diamonds. Yeah, we yeah, we right. want them to have diamonds now. That's true. I'm sorry. Um, wow. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna I bet twelve hundred last street. Forty eight. Yeah. Pot. Now that I realize, wow, I totally forgot we had diamonds. And now yeah. that we had diamonds. I definitely want to bet because if we hit our diamonds, they'd be disguised. We have a much better chance of getting paid off for them. And if they have diamonds. That'd be fantastic, you know. They could have had something crazy, yeah, like absolutely right, like yeah. you said, five seven of diamonds, you know. Uh, and then they had the straight draw, and now he's hit picked up a flush draw too. So there's no reason not to bet. You took you bet the first exactly. street. You might as well bet now, and maybe this guy was floating you. Who knows? But you might as well keep up the betting. You've got a huge hand now. So pot was forty eight hundred. I don't know twenty four twenty five hundred maybe. Yeah. Sound right? Yeah. Yeah. I almost might bet a little bit more just to make it... Again, I have to know the quality of my players here, and I think if I remember correctly, this is one of those free leagues that he's in, so it's a different story. But, yeah. um, but let's assume it's not, right? So if it's a good player, then I kind of want to try to price him out of his draw, even though... <laughs> make it like we're afraid of the draw. Yeah, we're hoping to hit the draw, right? Yeah. So I might I might even go 3000 or so and just, you know... If we get called, that's great, right? Yeah. And if we don't, then, you know... I guess we'd lose some value if we would have would have called something less. But um, I don't mind that. But I, I don't mind that. But I mean, I'm trying, anywhere, to, I'm trying to tell the story that I want to tell, and the story yeah. I want to tell is that I, I don't want you to hit your draw. So if I if it, the diamond does come, I'm going to get paid off. I like that idea. All right, our hero says uh, not a danger card here. I don't think unless my opponent limped with Ace Ten, uh, but I still got outs to a flush, so I bet three thousand here. Wow, hey, okay. Scott oh. Long, Scott Long School of Betting. Okay, man, a different way, but got there the same. <laughs> he says, not sure again if this is the right size. Huh? I think it is. I guess we'll find out. If he folds, then probably not. All right. Uh, my opponent is a loose passive player usually, and she goes into the tank for a minute or so before calling the three thousand. Hmm. So with 10,800 uh, 10, in the pot, uh, the river is the four of clubs. So our final board is ace of clubs, four of diamonds, six of hearts, ten of diamonds, four of clubs. So the board pairs now. We didn't get our diamonds. That's a great card for us. I think it is, right? Because let's say they did have a better ace than us, right? And 
they thought that their kicker was going to take this pot down, and we had, we both have aces, but they have a better kicker. Let's let's just say they lent with ace nine suited, mm-hmm. right? And now they've got aces with a nine kicker, and we had aces with a six kicker, except we had aces up. So now they think, whoa, I've got aces up now, and I got a kicker. If this guy had like a random blind kicker, I've got him beat now. So that's a good card for us because now they've made aces up. And their kicker is there. So, you know, the ten of diamonds will play for them. But, I mean, who knows? Ace, even Ace Jack thinks, oh, you know, who knows? People people limp with the craziest of hands. So, I like yeah, this card. In limit games, I might stick around with some kind of random four here hey, for the hope of a river like this and really tick off my fellow players. God, I did that so much at Thunder Valley. But in <laughs> uh, the tournament, I'm not doing that. Um, so, I, I, I really I, I can't imagine a scenario here where there's a four out there unless it's the ace four. Yeah, that's the hardest thing to swallow here is ace four. If ace four is out, you're, you're going to lose money. But if it, other than that, it's a great card for us. So, you know, the straights didn't get there, our, our flush didn't get there, so at this point, I, I think I need to make kind of a value bet here, and, you know, I don't want to overbet, I actually, really honestly don't want to overbet this, because I, I think we can get some money out of it, so at 10.8, um, I might make the same bet I did last time, just because I like to be consistent, so I might bet 3,000 here, and yeah, hope I get it. Yeah, three 4,000, that's fine. And if we get called and for some reason we have, we're up against Ace Ten, then we've minimized our downside too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with that card, and I'm happy with that bet. Um. All right. Uh, so over here it says no flush, but the board did pair. Uh, make it just under the half the pot with five thousand. I'm quickly raised all in though, and I'm sitting here with my confidence quickly deflated. Yeah. Um. We don't know what her stack was. That's the problem here, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, if we raised all, that means means we're probably raised. raised all. Well, yeah. But yeah, it probably puts us all in. Well, you know, we have aces up. That's tough. It feels like someone has a random ace here, and they think they've got aces up too, and they're good. Because would she, if she? Let's go back to the beginning real quick. All right. So the flop was a six four, right? Mm-hmm. If she had a set, that turn puts two Broadway, two diamonds, and even another straight draw out there if you somehow had seven, eight, seven, or nine, Jack King. Jack King. No, I know, but I mean, another one, an extra additional one with the six and the ten. You could still have another. Oh, so there's, there's other straight draws out there. There's diamonds out there. So there's at least three straight draws out there and diamonds. I can't see this person not putting some pressure on us on the turn if they had something like ace four or a set i think if they had ace four they were going to put the hammer down on us somewhere in there or if they had a set they definitely would come alive because yeah they have 12 outs to a boat on the end but or 10 outs i mean um but uh yeah, you don't want to chance they, they don't want to chance it they want to say hey you're not going to get there for free on my you know and and or your your price i would think they would she would raise here so it's hard for me to imagine a set or ace four here um, now it's starting to feel like a random limped ace that was suited, you know, ace, ace nine, ace six, something like ninety six, ace five, maybe ace five, and they just limped. A lot of people limp with their aces when they're suited like that with baby connector, baby suits. I mean, they don't, they don't. A lot of people don't raise with ace seven. We didn't raise with ace six. I know we're in the blind, but we didn't raise with it. So there's no reason to think that, uh, you know, and that's why they're just calling because I've got an ace, but I'm not crazy about my kicker. 
Now, if they had aces up, she would have with the aces and fours. She would have come alive somewhere along the line here. So, I'm thinking we're we're still good, and I'm going to call this all in. Hmm. Yeah, this is where I really wish I knew the players better. I mean, one loose passive is a weird description, right? So, does that mean plays like a lot of different hands and then just doesn't isn't act it, on them? Right, isn't aggressive with them. And now she is all of a sudden. At so the end. now, yeah, I mean. So I, I don't know whether this all-in is the loose part of her or the passive part of her. Because <laughs> raising all-in is not passive at all, but it's totally loose. Um, well, let's talk about her play earlier, then. Uh, if she's loose passive, does that mean that she could have a way better ace and she's just passive with it and she's just one of those, hey, I want to keep him in the pot as long as I can with my ace queen. And they put the hammer down. And they put the hammer down at the end when they've made a mistake and let us catch up. And now they think, well, I got aces up with a queen or a jack or a king kicker. And so it could be that, too. Yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping here because if you go back to what you're talking about, I think they have to put us on something here. And if they don't, it, 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 let's assume that she has the ace queen, right? Right. What kind of hang is she going to put us on that we have been betting the entire way that she can beat? Ace five. So like a lesser ace. Yeah, like a like that, she's that's hoping. really the only thing, right? Because yeah. if we had a four, then we've got her beat now. If we had a four six, which is kind of what I was worried about them thinking uh, by betting her. out initially, um, that beats her. Yeah. So really, the only thing is a, a lesser ace or a missed straight draw. And there's no reason to go all in if you miss a straight draw. It's just yeah, because you're not going to get called, right? So right. They, <clears throat> could be a bluff, too, even though she's passive. So, wow, this is a tough thing for my whole stack at this stage of the tournament. I mean, it's only 300, 600. You know, I haven't put a ton of money in here. But I'm not seeing any combination here that I feel... Well, we put in a quarter of our stack. I mean, I'm not saying that's the right call. I'm just saying, when you say you didn't put in a ton, you put in 25% of your stack here. Five grand and three grand is well, eight. Well, 25% of our stack, but we still have... No, I know. I know what we still have. Yeah, I'm just well, saying... We, the blinds is the way I look at it. Always. We put a lot of money into this pot, and she's shoved, so now you've got to call... I guess it's the rest of our money, so right, 30 grand. The wrong route. So that's, that's always the problem with tournaments versus cash games. In yeah. a cash game, you can make this call all day long, right? and then just reload. But if it's a tournament, then you're out. So you always have to give some credence to the fact that you're going to be out of this tournament if you make the wrong call here, which is why, if she's bluffing with this way, why it's a, a strong play on her part, because it's going to get weaker hands to lay down. Because no one wants to go out of the tournament here. Yeah, if, if, if we were betting the whole way because we were confident we were ahead, I don't think the four beat us. If and I think that if this person is passive, then they could be passive with any any ace here. And if she's bluffing, you know, or you know, this other thing too, it's a free league, I think, and you don't really I know, could be wrong, right? If it is a free league, um, or even just, yeah, it feels like it's a free league. <laughs> I don't know, but. Um, I think that the the decisions they're making aren't coming from the same place where we are. Exactly. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna think that we were good, we were still good, and I'm making a good read here. 
on this person who is overvaluing their hand and was passive and didn't didn't play it right, and we're going to win this hand. I I don't know. I just I feel like I'm going to call. I just feel like we're we're right here. Yeah, I think I've talked myself into call too. I'm just going to be kind of ashen faced if it turns over one of these weird hands as is beat. Um, because I know I have plenty of play left this tournament if I fold here. Yeah, but yeah. I just it, it nothing about this is adding up, so I, I think we're good here. All right. All right. Uh, here it says I end up thinking that she has Ace Four um, and played to the river for a full house. Sadly, I lay my cards down and she shows the Ace of Hearts, King of Hearts, and I'm left mildly annoyed with my laydown. Did I make the right decision to fold the river? I was confident I was ahead to the push at the end. My gut was saying call, but the brain was saying fold. In the end, the gut was right, but it, it's got me into trouble before, so usually reasoning gets me a better outcome. Needless to say, I went on mini tilt after this hand and had to struggle to make it to the final table, ending with a fifth-place finish for the night. Too short of the money. Yeah, that's... Here's the deal. I, I would never have put her on ace four, because if she had aces up, you were... You had aces up, but you were betting them. If you were on the other end of that and you had your aces up, you would have defended your aces up on that turn. Exactly. Right. So if she had ace four, she's got to say, I cannot let this guy keep dictating how much to pay. I- I've got to raise him now and see what he really has because I'm willing to get it all in with ace four here with aces up on the turn. So I, I can't put her on that hand. Now, you know, Scott was worried a little bit there that we, we could be looking at six four or something, but she wasn't in the blind. So limping went six four is possible. Uh, highly unlikely. Right, right. Um, so, really, what's the hand that beats us? It's not pocket aces. So, ace four is so specific. Any random four doesn't fit with any other card there. Ten four, no. Six four, no. Ace four, well, like we said, she would have defended it. So, what is the. So, ace four is a very specific hand to lay your hand down to. Um, not that you don't do that. People make lay downs to specific hands because they know it's all it can be. I've done that plenty of times where people turn over their cards and like, how did you do that? You know, but. In this case, Ace King. Wow, I mean that—that's the passive that we talked about. The other side of it. Um, that's crazy to me that she didn't raise. Yeah, so she was somewhere. probably just concerned that we had a hand exactly like we did. Oh, but not exactly like we did, but um, and yeah, but what, yeah, then why'd she bet? That's now the thing. there's two pair, and she has the best kicker, and yeah, that, yeah, that's that's a terrible raise. Well, I think what happened here is that we didn't pay attention to the story being told by our opponent. I mean, obviously, we had the luxury of it because that's what we just do here for 30 minutes, right? Yeah. And in the heat of the moment, you make a bad decision based on what's on the board at the end rather than what the likely holding is based on how the action went. And we all make that mistake often, right? I think that's really what separates the good players from the great players, right? Yeah. So here, I think, just made the mistake of... Oh gosh, the board paired. Now I got raised in. I obviously must be beat. When if you go back and think about how the action is, there's nothing to indicate that we should have been beaten there. Yeah. And then if you make that decision, then you got to think, what kind of hand could I be up against that be doing that? And I mean, we spent the last ten minutes of this hand talking about her having ace queen and she had ace king, so we were in the ballpark on the kind of hand that would do this. The only thing I might have done differently is check the river. And then make a hand like pocket somethings like eights or something where they didn't, you know, some other hand that thinks, oh, I've made a new pair and now he's worried and or, or something or try to bluff at it. And then you just feel more comfortable calling five grand on the end instead of 41 grand or whatever the whole right, was. So, right. But other than that, 
I, well, that's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, I would have bet 3000 I know there's not a lot of difference between 3 and 5 there, but yeah, I was trying to make a smallish bet there. That they might be inclined to raise a little bit rather than shove on you or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised at the shove on her part. but That's a huge shove. All right. I wonder whether she would. I wonder whether she thought she was good there or not. Yeah, I don't think that's a bluff. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, I think that she was playing it slow. I mean, she might have been thinking, you know, I've got this guy the whole way, and then I'm going to really spring on him on the end because they're in a free league. If it's a free league, they don't really understand, you know, what betting means. They just they're oh they're putting more money in for me to win. Oh, they put more money in for me to win, and then I even realizing, hey, this guy might have you beat right now. <laughs> You should have raised that East King earlier and gotten him out um, pre-flop. But, you know, that's this is what happens when you're playing in a free league. Yeah. So, Tyrone, I would uh, advise you to kind of think about the story. Yeah. What the, you're telling and not yep. the other person is telling. Listen to what they're telling you. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.